0: God is so good amen it's so good to be with you we We're all like pumped up on uh, on uh, retreat weekends and and uh we're excited and moving on and so it's so it's so good to be here the week after and to be able to encourage and and uh i feel like family you know hanging out and I am family i'm the grandma right yep, and so i'm so thankful to be here and uh I wanted to you know last week we talked about uh, the, we started the journey of discovery and the meaning of sacred community and the importance of developing a healthy community of me. Because who, how I am and what I believe about myself is who I'm going to be in the world. There's just no, no way around that. We operate and we live and we activate out of who we believe we are. That's why this is so it's essential to be on journey with the Lord. And so let's pray as we go into this week and look at, uh, at look at what God wants us to look at. And so, Lord, we thank you that we're here together. We choose to receive the word, and I want all of you to lean in. Remember, we impact community uh, by our, our awareness and our attention. And so, Lord, we lean into this uh, study of who you're calling us to be and who you've developed to be on the earth, and we just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, I just want to share that as we go into these uncertain waters, community is going to look different. We, uh, you know, the Lord has been shifting what community looks like in our church and Western culture for a lot of years. We're just starting to catch up, and he's calling us always to togetherness. And so I encourage you to seek the Lord and be inspired on how you he, he can connect because you can't not connect. And so last week we talked about the community of me and how I have, a, I have a responsibility to the Lord and to you to be the best version of myself that I can be. And I was uh, thinking of my daughter this morning. I have three children. I have a do- girl, boy, girl. And so my youngest is, uh, she's my world traveler. She's a four on the Instagram, fiercely independent and, uh, and an introvert. And so she can hide really well. And when she was in high school, she was uh, in her room a lot, and uh, I thought that it was just teenage angst. And it was really uh, the beginnings of depression. She was hiding because she didn't want people to see it and find out, and she was struggling. And uh, we missed it, you know. And here I thought I was super parent, theologian, pastor, I would catch it, but she was good at hiding and I was good at being busy and I didn't get it. And she started uh, the precursor to cutting burning with different things and didn't didn't see that either. She dressed in black. I thought it was a goth thing. I like black, so I didn't have a problem with it. And she reached out to a youth pastor who told her, well, you know, I'm reaching out to mom. And she said, that's okay. And we began to have uh, some of our best discussions This is where it started. You people have been in the car. She was able, we were both looking forward and she knew I had to keep my eyes on the road and so she would begin to share her struggle. But she came out of that, thank the Lord, and she went off to college away from home, that independent soul, and then she went out of the country for several years. And while she's in Korea, she lived in Korea for almost two years, she uh, started prepping me that she was gonna get a tattoo. And how am I even gonna stop her You know, all those miles away? And I said, well, if you're gonna prep me with that, I'm gonna prep you with a theological basis of how you should think in getting a tattoo. And I said, you're gonna to have to give me um, some deep reasons of how you feel this is gonna honor God and how it's gonna to minister to others. And we had these conversations back and forth, and I wish I would have brought a picture of her tattoo. I'm, I'm mesmerized by it because I know the story behind it, but uh, on her forearm, she has a sunflower, and under it, she has the words, "Amago Day" because she forgot who she was for a while, and she wanted to remember that she is the image of God, being formed in his presence, and I said, why the sunflower, and she goes, sunflowers are such an amazing flower, mom. They, they always turn towards the sun, And they get their strength from the sun. And she goes, We get our strength from the sun. But, Mom, when there's no sun, they turn towards each other. And she said, I have to remember when I can't see him, I can still see him in the faces of others who love me. And I can't do it alone. And so this week, last week, we looked at us turning towards the sun. And this week, we're going to look at us turning towards each other. Because that is how we're transformed, and that is how we live out life. And as she began to turn towards others, she walked out so much healing. She walked out so much strength. She walked out so much purpose. And she's, you know, in a good place. Got a, picked up a husband in Korea and all great things. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to turn towards the sun, isn't it? And sometimes it's hard to turn towards each other. We worry, am I going to be loved? Am I going to be accepted? Am I going to be rejected? Because we've experienced lack of love, and we've experienced rejection, and we've experienced the, the deformation of humanity, but that's not God's ideal. And so we are wrestling out to reform the amago Day, the image of God in our lives and in our hearts. And a very essential part of that is being together. And I call it sacred community, and and we're going to look at what sacred community looks like when we're together. You know, the dictionary lists one of the definitions of of community as a group of people uh, living together and practicing common ownership. Now, we might not sell everything and, and, you know, like my car's not your car and so forth, but sometimes, you know, Angel's car is my car and it gets me where I need to go, it's a, we're going to own ourselves, we're going to own each other, we're going to own this walk together, and our responsibility that we're in life together, and successful communal, communal living really requires us to all be equally invested. Now, it doesn't mean your all might be different than my all, but it's all got to be in, And that is where a healthy, successful community will be able to walk out the fullness of God. And the word sacred is defined as a connection with God and regarding with great respect and reverence by a particular uh, religion, group or individual. So essentially sacred community is the, the best, its best expression as a group of people holding connection with God and with each other, with great respect and reverence. So a sacred community is a group of people who hold connection to God and connection to each other with great respect and reverence. It's the honor place that we know who we are and we know whose we are. And we're not just his, but we belong to each other in community as well. In the community of marriage, uh, you're no longer your own. You belong to another person now. And we forget that sometimes in marriage. And we, when we struggle, we turn away in the struggle, thinking, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to help me in this. When in actuality, even when our struggles with each other, turning towards makes all the difference. I've been married almost 37 years. Uh, come, I've been a lot of different people in that marriage. And <laughs> so has he. <laughs> so we have to continually turn towards you. You know what I'm saying, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. So community has to be important and indispensable uh, to everyone involved. There's no slackers, there's no nonchalant adherents, we're all engaged in this. And each member is profoundly aware of the commitment required and the opportunities that will be provided for growth and transformation for service and salvation in genuine community and reverent connection with God and with each other. And so we could recognize in our culture and even in our own lives and hearts that we've got some work to do, right? In growing in this community. Maybe we didn't realize that this being a part of the church was, you know, you're free to sign on or not sign on. You know, just like joining any club, you're free to join or not join. But when you join, there's some perimeters or boundaries or responsibilities that uh, are required. Rank has its privileges. Joining has its responsibilities, and so as I join in about a, a community, it's not about me, it's about me in community with you. And there's something very powerful about intentional community, intentional sacred connection. When we're living out daily activity in relationship, we're Transformed. We become better versions of ourselves, and the Amago Day, we're empowered to walk out the Amago Day and the Missio Day, the mission of God together. We can't do it without each other. As much as we'd like to, we need each other. You introverts who think I'm an introvert, I don't need anybody. Not true. We all need each other. God wired it that way, and He's not going to change it. It's it's impossible. To be effective in discipleship, evangelism, worship, and compassion—which is the Great Commission—without a healthy, connected communal living, which is the Great Commandment, we can't do the Great Commission apart from the Great Commandment. Think about it. You, you can't. Have, um, I guess we could evangelize ourselves, but how many how many times are we going to get saved before we move on to other places? And if you think that you're the only person you need in discipleship, you don't have a full theology because you don't know everything. And we can't underestimate the power of self-deception. So we need, and God gave, you know, I, I know people who say, well, I just need the word of God and that's all I need. Well, if you just need the word of God and that's all you need, then you're missing the word of God because he said he gave you a gift in the person of the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, the apostle, those are the prophet, those are gifts God gets. So what's the gift he gives for our growth? People. Not just the spiritual gifts of fruit. Matter of fact, I learn how to live out the fruit of the Spirit with other people. I don't necessarily need to walk in kindness when it's just me, although I should be kind to myself. Or self-control uh, when it's just me, although I do need self-control. Sacrifice when it's just me. I don't have to walk those out when it's just me. So they're um, formed. How many of you like to grow in spiritual fruit and gifts? Get around some people. You'll get there. So what is the foundation of community and what happens in it? The biblical foundation of community came before humanity ever came into the picture. It is the core of who God is. It's the essence of who God is. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has always been unified in purpose and communal in practice. I'll say that again, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been unified in purpose and communal in practice. What did Jesus say? I do what I see my Father do. My Father is working and I am working. Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to remind you all of all truth. What truth? The truth the Father put on the earth and Jesus taught. So they are unified in purpose and communal in practice And At the the baptism of Jesus, we see a beautiful picture of the triune cooperation uh, presented. Luke says, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, this is Luke 3.22, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And this began, this initiated the public ministry, not just of Jesus, but of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in grand collaboration. They got got out to get the work done, and Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, minister, implemented, and ministered the will of God. So, and together, in other words, they empowered and encouraged each other to walk out their position in community, and that is who God He calls us to be. Think about the creation story in Genesis. Genesis 1, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Genesis 1, 26. And this is an invitation. This is literally an invitation for humanity at the get-go to join the alliance of the Trinity in impacting the world and the New Testament narrative on the redemption work of Emmanuel God with us reinforces this collaboration. I want you to go with us out into the world. He invites us, God's nature is to invite us into covenant relationship with him and with humankind, with each other. Marriage isn't the only covenant on the earth. We get an example of the covenant of of friendship with Jonathan and David. I will own you. Meaning I will take responsibility for you. I'll claim you and I will care for you and I will give all that I am to you so that you can be all that you need to be on the earth. And if you think about the story of Jonathan and David, Jonathan was really saying, if we look at the legacy of, of the natural man, I'm the next one up for king. But I recognize what God is doing in you and so I will come alongside and support and promote and encourage to my death so that it can be released in you. See, we're created with the ability to respond to, it, to a unique personal relationship with God that reflects his character and his moral likeness to others. It is within us. You know. And, if, and as you believe you are on the earth, that's who you are. And so if we believe that all we are is flawed sinners, we're missing the work of reformation in our lives. I'm a saint who sometimes sins, is always loved, And immediately forgiven. So that I can get back into the process of walking out who I am in Christ. We can reflect his sinlessness and his holiness. We have wise minds, loving hearts, and deep down a desire to do what is right. Say that about yourself. I have a wise mind. I have the mind of Christ. I have a loving heart. And I do desire to do right. According to God's word. In fact, Jesus' high priestly prayer, recorded in John 17, his prayer is a prayer of connection over all followers for all times. You want to know what Jesus is praying over you? Read John 17. That is the recorded prayer we have of him. And this is what he prays Holy Father, Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. John 17:11. Paul expounds on it in Romans 12:5. So we, though many, are one in body with Christ and indiv- individually members of one another. And he's not just talking about the marriage there. And we think, yeah, we know husband and wife are supposed to be one in covenant, and look how much the enemy tries to tear that apart. But he's saying all of us, when we walk on this mission together, we're all a part of each other. Paul talks about it in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, when he talks about being the body. And Christ speaks it again when he says, listen, in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And there are multitude scriptures that reveal the expectation of God that when we are in relationship with him, we are in community with everyone who is joined to him. When we are in relationship with him, and how many of you are in relationship with him? And if you're not, we can get you there. Well, look around. You're not just in relationship with him. You're in relationship with everybody who's in relationship with him. And that communal, uh, that communal encounter is definitely, it's the community of me. And then it's the community of me and my husband, which we're in in the deepest covenant relationship on the earth. And my children, and my grandchildren, which is just a child right now, but we'll get there. And then those who are in my other spheres of influence, I'm in community with them. And if I'm in community with them, I really got to wrestle out what community looks like. Well, I'll tell you from scripture some of the things that this sacred community does. In this connection, we encourage each other. We motivate each other. Come on, you can do it. We strengthen each other. We bear one another's burdens and and teach each other how to be a burden bearer. We warn. We refine. We lean on in times of struggle. We heal together in community. James tells us that. We collaborate gifts and we love. In fact, every human need can effectively be met through another human hand whose heart is held by God. And we look around and we want God to meet the need and God says, you meet the need. We get the example of it with the disciples when he's been preaching all day, Jesus has, and everybody's getting hungry and fate was hungry and the disciples tell Jesus, you know, everybody's getting tired and hungry and Jesus says, well, what are you gonna do about it? He didn't say, I've got it, guys, I'll fix it. He, He threw it right into their hands. What are we gonna do about this? Actually, what are you going to do about this? And oftentimes, we want to send people away to that help and this help. The disciples did too. Let's send them home. There's nothing around here. And God said, There is. What's in your hand? What's in your ability to do? And God invites us to give him our ability so that he can multiply it. Maybe it's he invites us to give him our availability so that he can multiply ability. But he needs us first, and he needs us all in with him and with each other. I call this God-withness, and it's best carried out when we are with each other. We forget that we are healers, wounded as we are, and we minister healing to others we have varying circles of community community of us community of god and the family of god and friends and co-workers and even strangers can become a sacred place of community and we've had it happen you could tell stories of seeing someone and being compelled to love on them or encourage them or minister to them it's because god is inviting you to a sacred connection even if it's for a moment an engagement and then a disengagement Wherever human souls gather, cross paths, work, reside, or or meet each other, there's an opportunity for sacred community. There's an opportunity to connect to God and to connect to them. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful that he invites us to the supernatural always? Matter of fact, God said from the very beginning, Genesis 2.18, that it is not good that humanity should be alone. He looked at all of creation, he said, this is good. He looked at man, he said, this is very good. He saw that he was alone, he said, oh, this isn't good. And it's still not good for us to be alone. We need each other. And so he creates like-minded people in purpose to gather together with us. Henry Cloud, in his book, The Power of the Other, which is a great book, he states that the, the need for connection begins even before birth. It goes literally from the womb to the tomb. Relationship affects our physical and mental functioning throughout life. Womb to the tomb. We know people can be impacted by the trauma that a mother experiences. You can feel uh, the life-giving acceptance or rejection and stress from the womb. And we can heal it in one another. So don't, don't grab into those places of broken community and think everything stays broken. Because if you do, then you've forgotten the power of God and the pu- power of the other. You and I, we have great power. We can use it for good or for evil. We can use it for selfish pur- purposes or for selfless purposes. But every, every area of study proves to us that we human beings thrive and develop and grow spiritually, physically, emotionally, and numerically in healthy community. It's the way God planned it. Now, we can make test two babies, but the best are when the man and the woman who are in covenant come together. Now, this week I shared a triangle with uh, the, some of the groups that I was with, and I said, that triangle helps us, you know, not everybody's healthy community to you. But the triangle, Think, picture a triangle that goes like this. And so the, the level of connection and commitment that a person has in your life as they move closer to the Lord, as you move closer together, will determine the level of transparency that you have with them. And so think about who's right up close and personal to you. They're the people who you're going to have the greatest connection and the clearest transparency with. And if there's no one there, you better get someone there because you want to grow. Who wants to grow? So how are these dynamics played out? Genesis, like I said, tells the original design of community with God and with others. And the book of Acts shows the redeemed. So Genesis 1, 2, and the, uh, one and two until the fall happens in three shows the unique dynamic of community. God is always with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and He invites us in to garden opportunities, to clear purpose, to joy, to hope, to, to formation. And sin enters and brings deformation. And Jesus comes and brings reformation. Reformed back to what? To the garden. To that place where we walk it out together. And so the garden is the original design, and I want us to look at the birth of the church at Acts 2 for the redeemed design. Next to Jesus, remember Jesus has been teaching the narrative uh, through the gospels of how we're going to live out this life together, especially Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. If you want to know how you love and how you encourage, uh, contemplate those. He says, you have heard it said, referring back to the Ten Commandments, now I'll tell you this is the new commandment because God is always working to bring the external into the internal. And so we no longer operate from these external forces of, of command, but we, inter, we operate from this internal force of love. We either love the law or we live under a law of love. We either live, live under a love of law, and that would be where we become very strict and demanding and controlling and religious and pharisaical, or we live under a love of law. I mean, a law of love. That we love the Lord and we love others. They look very different. A love of law looks very different from a law of love. So Acts 2 uh, they've been waiting in Acts 1 and 2. Jesus says, I've formed you now. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. You're going to be empowered to be a witness. You're going to be empowered to be an example. You're going to be empowered to be community. And so they went right into the practice of community. They sequestered themselves together in an upper room. They did the business of God. They voted in a, new, uh, a new, uh, someone to replace Judas. They prayed together. You, you, they ate together. They probably argued and worked it out together. We don't have all the narrative of that time together, but you get 120 people locked in an upper room for 10 days. Stuff's going to happen. You get three people locked. We've kind of experienced it, right? Yeah. And we're, wrestling, we're recon, recognizing the deformity of true community, even in our culture. Right now, as we're sequestered with one another, in the, in the world, we're seeing increases of depression. We're seeing increases of, of uh, spousal abuse and child abuse. And the isolation of an outward influence is impacting in negative ways. And it still does. And the church is is in most ways running right, right in parallel to the world. And guys, here's our chance to get this right and to do this better and impact the world. But we have to understand, it's not that we're an outward working of evangelism and we're going to look at the Great Commission. The Great Commission wasn't a call to evangelism. It was a call to discipleship. The only direct, the direct command is that, go and make disciples. Not converts, but Disciples. And we want to go and do something to someone instead of go and be something with someone. And that's what he invites us to there. And we, can't, we won't get that right. We'll go want to do something to someone if we don't have the great commandment, this love of God, this community of me and God, and this love of, of self, because we love others out of our love for ourselves. You want to become a better discipler? Become a better lover of yourself. And you will be a better lover of other people. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, Peter begins a sermon. After they've had this encounter of the Holy Spirit being poured out on them, and people are seeing something different in this community, he begins to teach what's going on. And Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, be God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and even on your male servants and female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, so, and I will show wonders. so God is telling us, he's going to move, in all these days, until the final day that he comes, and he's going to move in a place of community, we do prophesy to ourselves, but the greater witness is when we can prophesy, and encourage one another, you speak, you speak future over your life all the time, it just might not be a good future, Think about the words you say to yourself. And if the words you say to yourself are harsh, how long do you think you're going to be able to say kind words to someone else? Because out of, the, out of your belief system about yourself, you are in the world. Most of the time when we're attacked by someone, it's not because of a struggle they have with us. It's a struggle they have with themselves. And if we know who we are and whose we are, we can love ourselves and be willing to pour ourselves out so that they can, can begin to love themselves. I came to the, my husband grew up in church, and I came to the Lord a full year before he did. Because growing up in church doesn't make you a follower of Christ. And in actuality, he says he came to the Lord because I became a better lover of him. I was kinder. I was gentler, I was more patient. And it was because I recognized a love that God was pouring out of me and I've get, uh, I believe I'm getting better and better at it. I'll check in, make sure. He did pray for me this morning and so it's all good. Then jump down to verse 37 and he's preaching, to this, he's preaching this message of repentance to them and it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so the upper room experiences were the movement of the Holy Spirit to get the attention not just of his disciples but of the crowds around them. And Peter preaches a powerful message of redemption and repentance and many are added to the kingdom. And then a natural progression because once we're added to the kingdom, a natural progression of communal living is expressed, and they reveal the best practices in the rest of chapter 2. So we need that encounter with God. We need that encounter with God. We need to understand. We need to repent. We need to change our mind about some things. Even now, all of us in this room, there's some things about God and some things about ourselves and some things about each other that we need to change our mind about. We're coming from a place of hurt. We're coming from a place of uh, religion. We're coming from a place of judgment instead of love and mercy. And we think, well, it's not that easy. Uh, it, is, it is that simple, but it might not be that easy because changing a mind is a hard thing. It takes work. It takes intentionality. But listen, we're all brilliant and bright enough to know that if I stay in the same stuck place, nothing's going to change. That I can't keep thinking the same wrong thoughts about myself and about the others I'm in community with and think something better is going to come out of it. And so I can't stay with my old agenda and think that God's going to help me in this. You know, our spirit man knows some things have to change. We've got to get into some belief systems. We don't want to be merciful to others. But how many of you love when God's merciful to you? Or even when other people are merciful to you? We judge people by their actions, but we want to be judged by our intentions. And we need to move to a place where we can think the best about another person. I'm not going to believe you intended to be that bad. You're just in the struggle. And I'm going to, I'm going to love you through it. And it takes community. It takes connection. It takes communication. It takes a willingness to look at things differently. And not just things, people. Think about someone you're in a struggle with. Ask the Holy Spirit, what would happen if I shifted my thinking even just a little bit? Even just a little bit. And then I began to believe a good intentions about them and treated them According to their attentions and bear yet according to the, the person I know they can be because I've shifted my thought processes instead of just the person they are when you look at a husband or a wife especially because that's our first community when you look at yourself and you say I can, I can do better than this with God I can do better than this and then you look at those in closest community with you and you say I'm in community not to love not to judge to forgive not to hold onto offense, to believe the best, about, if I don't believe the best about them, who's going to have that impact on them? Because we live, in a, we live in, a, in a negative mindset world, and it's easy for us to go to negative places, but God calls us to, Paul said, think of the things that are good, think of the things that are pure, think of the things that are trustworthy, and true, and noteworthy. Sometimes that shift can happen when we just start to remember one good thing about them and about us, and it's the sunflower turning. And that's where transformation happens. Acts 2, 42. And then they devoted themselves to the apostles to teaching Uh, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So the first thing that a sacred community is, is safe. They They were safe because they were guided and grounded in the word of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the word of God and to sound teaching and to sound doctrine, and they were safe. Because sound, the truth, always produces transformation. So if we're not in the Word, and if we're not under godly instruction, which is in the Word, we're not going to experience the transformation. We need to read this until it gets in us. And, it, and because this living Word, every book changes you. All information changes you. All new knowledge will change you. It's whether it's changing you for the good or for the bad. This is why we have to be very careful. Uh, he, the scripture tells us to guard our heart, guard our mind, will, and emotions. Guard the information receptors of our life because they will change us. We are created to be transformed by information. And so if your if you're information is a, is a deluge of YouTube videos that are negative or uh, anti in any way, don't think it's not going to impact you. Music is profoundly impactful. Begin to, uh, movies can be profoundly impactful, and, and movies and reality shows aren't even that real. They set an agenda or a belief system they want you to believe. We look at some of the reality uh, shows out there and we think, well, everything's supposed to be drama. And we become so addicted to drama that if it's not there, we'll cause it. Because that's what our, our, our system has begun to need and believe and want. It's the way our brains are wired. We'll look at uh, romance novels and, and think that you can't live up to a few years ago, 50 Shades of Grey. Let's just teach women what, to, what real human trafficking looks like. And then let's manifest it on the earth. And make it sound okay. Listen, we're living out the truth of my words right now. And we've got to begin to shift new knowledge Will produce a renewed mind. Just make sure it's the right knowledge, and this is the best knowledge. Lived out in truth. Now, there's good addendums. I'm an avid reader. And there's good stuff. I'm not saying, you know, everything you watch is bad. I'm just saying watch how it impacts you because it will impact you. And it will begin to shift your belief system. And then it will begin to shift what you believe about others and what is true in the world. We're changed by, by new knowledge, and we're changed by new disciplines. And what you begin to pour into yourself is what you begin to live out. Think about it. It's if you pour in drama, you begin to live out drama. You begin to believe some things that aren't true, and you live them out on the earth. So we need to have right practices, spiritual disciplines. And they're vast. Reading your Bible and praying are not the only disciplines out there. And that that transformation takes hold in a sacred community, all encapsulated by the Holy Spirit. And so I need to place myself with like-minded people. And can I tell you, you will place yourself with like-minded people as your brain shifts and your understanding shifts and your practices shift, your community or your tribe is gonna shift. So look around you. What are you watching? What are you thinking? What are you filling yourself with? What are you doing? And who are you with? Because these are going to bring the transformation to you. It did in the early church, and it still does to us. They were safe because they were grounded in the Word. They were a safe community because their hearts were turned towards each other, they were other focused. If someone's just thinking about themselves all the time, they might not be safe. Narcissism is not good. But when I know that the decisions that my husband makes, he's got me in mind before he even has him in mind, I don't have to worry. When we're other-focused, we're safe people. And we're encouraging people. And they were safe because they prayed and they sought the leading of God. Right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, each other, and to the breaking of bread, communion and community, and to prayers. They were safe. So a transformative community is safe. A transformative community is also sanctified. They are being changed and renewed and become in the progression. Sanctification is instantaneous. When we accept the Lord, we, we have a measure of sanctification, and our sins have been forgiven. But it is also progressive, and sanctification is the becoming and we are always becoming something. They were becoming the Imago Dei, redeemed in themselves and reformed in each other. And Acts 2.43 says, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They walked in awe and wonder. You know, we sometimes lose our wonder. We lose our awe. We lose that ability to hope and believe. That so if, if your mindset is nothing's ever going to change, guess what? As you believe, so it is. Nothing's ever going to change. But if you begin to grab on to hope, and they had a great hope. They'd had an encounter with God and with each other in ways that they had never had. They're like, who knows what could happen? And what happened were signs and wonders and miracles and healing. The miraculous always happens in deep places of intimacy with God and intimacy with each other it doesn't always happen in this big space but the miraculous happens every time we can forego our own agendas and love one another it happens in the intimate places in the places of transparency in the places of deep love and deep commitment God to us and us to one another That transformation can truly happen. And you know, you know what is the sad struggle of humanity is we're always looking for it out there in the euphemist somewhere. Instead of recognizing that it's right here and it's right here. Look around at the people around you. Ask the Holy Spirit to begin to reveal the awe and the wonder of life together. Love is an all inspiring. Forgiveness, grace are all inspiring. When we can look at each other and say, you know what? That was bad, but I still love you. You're not bad. You have great potential, and I, I want to see God do it. The greatest joy in my life hasn't been the things I've seen. I, you know, I like Chris Valentin. I read his books, but I don't walk in any transformation with him. I walk in transformation with the people right next to me. I walk in transformation with Maria, who I've seen grow from a person who was angry and frustrated and didn't believe and uh, discounted herself because English wasn't her first language, to a fiery prayer minister and college student and lover of broken people. And I have a bunch of stories, your stories, when I get to come and we all get to come, your stories are our stories. We love you. And there's something transformative about that. We should ask, Lord, am I walking in this place of awe and wonder? And if not, what do I need to do to get it back? Because he is a God of awe. He is a God of wonder. And it doesn't matter what our circumstances are, circumstances change. We, we need to look at the facts where we're at but we have to understand that facts change. Truth doesn't. The fact is we may be broken right now. The truth is God fixes broken things. The facts are we may be sick right now, but the truth is God heals all sickness. The fact is there may be a hate and a struggle, but the truth is if I turn my heart towards him and turn my heart towards you, love can happen. We've got to begin to make the motion. You know, in 37 years of marriage, I can I can tell you with all confidence that we have not always got along. And you would think, wow, 30. Our hardest year was the 20th. You can get into the busyness of life, and you can. Have, and even now, as we're struggling as individuals, we struggle it out together as a couple we've learned how to turn towards each other when everything in our flesh wanted to turn away you can hear you, we hear that statement about couples and about relationships we just grew apart that is not a natural progression that's a choice it's a turning away little by little and bit by bit and so you know you can fix it by turning toward and Making a decision. Love isn't just an emotion or a feeling; it's a decision and a commitment. Not just in marriage and parenthood, but in other focus all around. We turn towards each other, and if we're in the house together, then we have to be committed and do our part. Because not only is it uh, safe and sanctified, but Acts 2:44 through 46 tells us that it's serving. And all who believed were together. Where were they? together and had all things in common and if there was and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts and so a sacred community is serving they were in a rhythm with each other they were singularly minded. We're going to grab onto this Jesus movement, and they were other focused, and we're going to grab onto each other and make sure that we get it through. And they were selfless. They recognized that if someone had a need and they had the ability to meet it, then they had the responsibility to meet it. If you have the ability, you have the responsibility. Now, we can't meet every need, and there's plenty of scripture. I shared a story of, uh, of uh, Luke, um, I believe it was Luke 12, where he says, Sell something and help someone. He didn't tell them to sell everything, but they said, Do something, and, and sacrifice is a good thing for the betterment of another person. Now, you can get hijacked in sacrifice, and that's why you need community. Why? With us. Hey, I'm thinking of doing this. Do you think it's a good idea? Does God call us to give sacrificiously, sacrificially and generously? All the time. And oftentimes, you know, Jesus says, if you see someone in need and you say, God bless you, I hope it gets filled, you've sinned. If it's within you to do it, do it. We want someone else to do it. We want the pastor to do it. It's not his job. His job is to equip you to do it. We want the prophet to know the need. You know the need. We want everyone else to fix it. That's a part of the sin breakdown of Genesis 3. Let's blame and rationalize and justify and fall it off on someone else. But think about some needs of others that have in, in, have been in your circle, your solar system. They're rotating around you and with you. And they've had needs and you've been able to fix them but didn't. There, there's a lot. There's a deficit. We become less than when we don't love others with our whole heart. And the other way, think about how wonderful it feels when you can help someone. The hard thing is, some of us, how many of you love to help people? And you do it. How many of you love to help people, have a hard time being helped by someone else? Both sides are hard. Both sides transform us. And so we've got to be willing not only to give help, but to receive help. We've got to be not only willing to say, Can I help? but Will you help? And in a safe community, when we're other focused, we, it becomes a natural rhythm of life. And we'll call each other out of self, Listen, I love you, but I think you can help yourself on this, and I'll help you help yourself. But we learn those rhythms. They recognized it. If they had a need, they could fill it. They were generous. They didn't hold on to stuff lightly, but were kingdom-minded in surrender. That Luke, uh, Luke 12 narrative, he says, put for yourself purses in heaven. The good deeds and the generosity that you do for the kingdom here are in your bank account in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather have a bigger bank account there than I do here. Because there it's going to be forever. Their bank systems won't fail. Their thieves won't come in. Here, we don't know. And so they they didn't hold on to their stuff, physical or mental or emotional. They released it to the healing of the kingdom. And they were multiplied. And they were relational and grateful for each other and for all that God was doing in their midst. Gratitude is a weapon against darkness. And when we can recognize we're in a struggle is when we are no longer grateful, but the opposite of that is critical and complaining. Do you complain more about what you don't have and what the person is doing wrong than you rejoice in what you do have and what is going good? Because that gratitude is a turn towards. Not, and and uh, ungratefulness is a turn away. Profound gratitude will wreck you in amazing ways. When we could just stop and look at our struggle and say, what is it that I can be thankful for here? And sometimes it's a street fight. It's actually a spiritual work. It is, it is a sacred and even a moral work to turn from, grati- from ingratitude to gratitude. To be just so grateful. Grateful to be there. Grateful that someone felt safe with you. Grateful that you saw life change. Grateful that you got to love each other in the midst of a struggle. Think about where you're at. Uh, these, these are not my words. Gratitude and the power of it is... God's promise. He's a way better promise keeper than me. How many of you are in a struggle right now? In any way? Just ask the Lord, turn your heart towards what can you be grateful about in this? I'm grateful I'm not alone. Others struggle and others will struggle with me. Most of us who have been through struggles or even uh, aren't in a struggle, you can be grateful that God is prepping you because, you know, sooner or later, you will be. Struggles come. Joy comes, victory comes, struggle comes. It's the nature of life on this side. Uh, I heard someone say once we are either uh, going into a crisis, in a crisis, or coming out of a crisis. There's always. We're just somewhere along that path. We'll lean in. And, you know, if, we let, if we're not grounded in who we are and whose we are and in a safe community, the, the enemy will use the crisis to take us out. We'll leave physically, emotionally, mentally. We'll quit, even if we look like we're still in. And we need to recognize that struggles happen. Turn toward. We're going to be way more victorious turning towards than turning away. And the fourth thing that they were doing, Acts 2.47, says this, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So a safe a sacred community is a sacred community is not just a safe community it's a sanctified growing community it's a serving community and it's a saving community. People get saved when people are walking out salvation. And the, they were added to them they weren't added in the church they were added in the house. Then they could come to the church. You're not going to add people necessarily. You you know that most people come to church because someone invited them. Not because they thought, hey, that looks like a good building. I'll stop in. We might get a few. Hey, I heard they have donuts on there. We might get a few. I mean, my Sunday school teacher used that shamelessly. He'd call me up every Saturday night. I had to be coaxed to church with donuts. So maybe the cinnamon rolls aren't the devil. (laughs) They will be used for good in the kingdom. And we got in there. And that community saves people. So what is a hindrance to this? Doesn't that community sound wonderful? What, it's who we are. It's who we were created to be. So what are some hindrances to that? Offense is a fence. And so if we hold any kind of offense, it will keep us from community. It always starts with forgiveness. Being willing to forgive ourselves. And can I tell you, If you have a struggle forgiving yourself and even forgiving others, and this may sound very hard to take, but if you do, you have positioned yourself above God. Now, in our conscious thought, we would never want to do that. But if God says his grace is sufficient and that his forgiveness is complete on the cross, and we decide, no, they've got to do more, or, "I've got to do more," then we have positioned our belief system above God, and we need to come into subjection and submission to the truth. Your beating yourself is not going to make you more forgiven. Your beating up them is not going to make them more forgiven. It's being willing to look at it, to own it, to forgive and to release it. Cross-talk. And you know, crosstalk is when the consensus is we're all here. Think about it if you're in a boardroom or, or a board meeting and you're trying to share something and everybody's having these little pockets of conversation. We don't walk in unity when that happens. And so if the vision is being projected forth, you know, the vision of the family, the vision of the church, and you've got all these little pockets cross-talking that, there's going to be Division. It's the unwanted and the unwarranted interruptions. It's multiple conversations going on at once. It's like, let's all lean into the same story so that we can walk out together what God is doing. If I have a story and my husband has a story and it's different stories, we're not going to get anywhere. We've got to lean into the same story. Unresolved bitterness. We could say we're forgiven, but bitterness, scripture tells us, is a a root that sends out a poison into everything. You think I'm just going to be bitter towards that one relationship and it's not going to impact me, but the very nature of bitterness is that it impacts everything. It's a bad taste in your mouth, no matter where you're at. And we have to resolve bitterness. And the only way to resolve bitterness is forgiveness, repentance coming into a renouncing and coming into agreement with truth. Another thing that will hinder a sacred community is trying to be the Holy Spirit. You are led by the Spirit, you are not the Spirit. And sometimes you step out of being led to try and lead and hijack what God is trying to do by trying to be the Holy Spirit to people. We don't tell people what to do We encourage them and help them to recognize truth. Can't be the Holy Spirit. Wives try to do that a lot, and husbands, and mothers, and fathers, and neighbors, and friends. Okay, we all might have a problem. (laughs) So we have to, if I try to be the Holy Spirit, that's me again saying that my way is better than your way, God. And I just don't want to be in that position so another thing that hinders it is self-protection. When we put up walls and we guard ourselves and we don't let other people in, we, keep all, we think we're keeping the bad out, but we're keeping everything out. Sometimes we got to crack the wall and let them in. We, if we say, well, I've been hurt before and I don't want to be hurt again, you're, you're, gonna, you're losing your humanity. Because we were created to risk relationships. We become less and less human when we refuse to be with other people and risk it. God risked it on us. We've got to be willing to do that with others, especially those we're in community with. And the absence of love, honor, and respect will hinder and harm safe community. We have to love and honor and respect each other no matter what the person is going through. Everybody is deserving of love, honor, and respect. And we can teach others how to be loving and honoring and respectful by the way we love, honor, and respect them. We teach people how to treat us not by telling them, you do this or you do that, but by showing them, I will treat you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's not an abstract thought. I'm going to honor you and, it's, and I know it's going to change you because it changes me. And too often we want to beat people with our words or our thoughts or our silence or our, or our rejection or our isolation. And uh, we think we're going to teach them a lesson. Well, you will, but it won't be a good one. And so if I breach the divide and love you, it's going to teach us all loving ways. Isolation hinders Good community. And so now we're in this very real struggle where the world and the world standards and the world mindsets are telling us to isolate. And we could have a lot of thoughts about what's going on in this earth. We, we should be mindful because God is always at work, even in the midst of coronavirus. Or, and not every move is a God move because God pours out his presence always, 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 but humans' response isn't always the same as God's outpour but we can turn towards the Holy Spirit and we can turn towards each other and we can recognize that am I, are we being conditioned in some way? Is God at work? What is safe? What is, what is reasonable risk that we should take for the Lord? And even in the midst of it, God, how do I, if you call me to create community, how do I create community? You know, this morning, uh, I, felt, I, I have a friend who went to uh, the doctoral program with me and she's a chaplain in another uh, state. And she's been through a very hard season. And she reached out on Facebook. There's a small group of us. that are a part of her community who she shares her struggle with. And she was on my heart this morning. And so I, uh, you know, how many of you get people on your heart? How many of you ever let them know you're on my heart? And I just want you to know I love you. And I'm thinking of Do you. Some of us just keep it to ourselves. I right away messaged her. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I woke up praying for you this morning. And I know you're in a struggle and I want you to know you're loved and you're not alone. And God is still using you in this struggle. I've already got an answer back from her. Thank you. When God puts someone on our mind, let's, let's love them with our words. Let's encourage them. We can, can, we can still connect in ways that, uh, you guys are my community. I connect all the time. And we'd love it to them more. If we, and the, you know what that is? That's a turning toward. That's a turning towards. The greatest commandment of Scripture is to love the Lord with all our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. To love others as we love ourselves. If you're operating in any of those hindrances and then you're struggling with community, get those hindrances out of the way. Deal with them. Grab onto someone and say, listen, I'm really struggling with this. Will you help me? Will you walk with me so I can walk this out? Because the great commission is what the great commandments who we're called to be. The great commission is what we're called to do. And it's the authority to walk out communal growth and development. It's not a call to evangelism as we assume. It's a call to discipleship. Go and teach. Go and live with as you are going. The actual term as you are going. Love, lead, disciple, encourage, We teach in multiple ways. We can teach by speaking it out. Most profoundly, we teach by living it out. People watch what we're doing more than they listen to what we're saying. One uh, commentary that I really love says, the call to develop discipled learners and followers of Jesus who live by his commands and are continually growing in their relationship in him. So it's not like I get this Jesus movement and then I'm going to go and make sure you have it. It's like I've got Jesus and I want want to walk with you in Jesus and now we're going to walk together closer to Jesus. We're in the becoming and we do it together. That make disciples is the only direct command in the great commandment and it's an invitation to solid teaching and continual community. A place of spiritual nurturing that produces growth progress we are either progressing or regressing we're not in static places and so Adam in his place of struggle the Lord comes to him and he says where are you remember last week I said it's not just where he was in the bushes God knew that he wanted Adam to be very aware of where he was in his soul these, these words from scripture just reinforce the truth that salvation is a journey and it's lived out in sacred community. And it produces grounded and mature followers of Christ who are equipped to reach nations. And he calls us to reach nations. And so to do this, we have to connect to a person. Uh, discipleship is an activity where we connect people to the person of Jesus Christ not to a program or not to a religion. Like, let me show you Jesus. And then we connect them to ourselves. We need to be closely connected to him and closely connected to each other. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so this growth process of discipleship to Jesus is serious business. It needs to be serious business to us. And like I said, it's not a call to religion, it's a call to relationship, and it's a progress made possible by community. The great commandment is a whole person endeavor, heart, soul, mind, with a focus on the Trinity and a commitment to others in love, good deeds, good thoughts, good words, and a pure heart. So how are you doing? How am I doing? We all have places where we can grow. I love what uh, someone once said, love the God who loves you and cherish the person who meets you. Love the God who loves me and cherish the people he puts in my path. Mother Teresa is quoted as saying, I can do things you cannot. You can do things I cannot. Together, we can do great things. And together, we are called to do great things. The greatest aspiration for God is for us to love him and to love each other out of a healthy, wholehearted, self-aware, and healthy self-image. And that's what develops people to others. Jesus, uh, Paul said in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. See sacred community is the mirror that reveals God to the world and God in us. And we reveal that through expressions and loving acts towards each other on mission. Jesus set in motion this great mandate and the community in which it could be developed. And he calls us to greatness. And greatness, in order for there to be greatness out there, world change, there has to be greatness in here, world change. There has to be greatness in here, world change. And all of us want to do great things out there. And we think if I could just do good things, then I would be good. And God says, no, it's not the way I work. If you just be good, and by that goodness, it means be in community, be in the journey, be in the process, in the perfecting, not perfect already, you will do good things. And so, Dusty, can I come up? And I want you to put your hand on your heart. We see hope in the kind expressions and loving acts of our brothers and sisters. We know we can hope in God, but we see that hope in each other. We are transformed by goodness, we're also transformed by evil. The Great Commission, lived out in loving community, the Great Commandment, is the hope of the world. God's message is declared through God's masterpiece, which Paul tells us we are. And that ensures God's mission. Jesus handed it to the twelve. And in the hands of many, which each of us are a part, love happens, life happens, transformation happens. Now how many of you can recognize we're in the struggle? I'm in the struggle. Sometimes I don't love well, myself or others. Sometimes my ways are not loving ways. I have to be willing to clean up in my heart and in my relationships. It has to start somewhere. But guys, this is what God calls us to. And if you think he called you to something different, then once again, you're placing yourself above God. So if ministers could come up got to start somewhere we've got to be willing to take steps of faith and transformative journey and so right now i want you to ask yourself where am i at in this struggle maybe you recognize hindrances in your life that are keeping you from community maybe you know that god he talks to you you know that he's been asking you to reach out in love to forgive to let go of something or someone most of our disappointments are that the things didn't turn out the way we expected. And if we hold on to a, a, an expectation that isn't going to happen, we won't be able to grab onto the new life that God has for us. The next phase, the hope and steps of journey. And we need each other. And so this right here is your chance to practice otherness. Wherever you're at in the struggle right now, let's just agree together. Let's just invite the transformative work of God into the mix and the transformative work of other into the mix. You need to hear words of hope. Come up and tell someone, I need to hear words of hope. You need to know you're forgiven. Come up and say, I, want, I, I need to be forgiven. Or you need to Forgive. You want to be able to grab on to the God design of community and you recognize you've been isolating and setting agendas that are not from him. Come and say, I'm ready to change my mind. Be who God fully created me to be so that I can be who he wants to be in the world through me. You know, sometimes getting there, we, we need to start in motion. So I want everyone to stand. And you ask the Holy Spirit, how am I doing? Where am I at? And if you're good, then where you're at, pray. Pray for others. Pray for those who are out of community that you know should be a part of community and you want to grab back in. Be willing to take the sunflower steps towards each other and come up and and share that with someone who's here. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit duboisfmc.org or check us out on Facebook.